Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. My guest says constant attempts of witch doctors trying to kill him prepared him for slaying dragons. Dragons? Next. Sid Roth has spent over 40 years researching the strange world of the supernatural. Join Sid for this edition of It's Supernatural. Uh, you know, when I take a look at the life of a great man of God that recently went to heaven, uh, uh, Reinhard Bonnke, and I had no idea, but his ministry had 80 million documented decisions for Jesus. I mean, that's, that rolls off my mouth, but that's a lot of people, Daniel. Yeah, it's, it's almost, it's over a million people for every year of his life on average. Now, at 28, you had been working for a while for uh, Reinhardt. At 28, Reinhardt calls you and your wife into a meeting uh, before you tell us what he said. Did you have any idea he was going to say that at that meeting? No. My job was a behind-the-scenes job. I was carrying his Bible and all these things. And then he looked at me one day and he said, you're called to evangelism, aren't you? I'd never shared this with mm -hmm. him because I never wanted him to feel that I had any ulterior motive for serving him. And I didn't. My ministry was him. But I said, yes, you know, when I was, when I was a boy, even seven years old, I felt called into the nations to, to preach the gospel. And he said, well, then you, you need to go do that. And he fired me. And he sent me away. And then, huh. and then a couple years later, he invited me to begin ministering with him here and there. But up until the moment he said the words that you're talking about, I never dreamt that he would say it. What did he say to you and your wife? He said to me, Daniel, the Lord spoke to me. And this is what he said. The anointed must be appointed. And he said, I believe God has anointed you to carry this ministry on. And I want you to do it. And, and I, I think I sat there with my mouth open for what <laughs> seems probably like five minutes, not knowing what to say. Because, as you said, I was 28 years old and um, still wet behind the ears. And uh, the idea that uh, I could lead one of the greatest evangelistic ministries in the world in history was absolutely daunting for me. But, you know, Sid, somebody said something to me uh, back then. It was a reporter from South Africa. She, she stood up in a press conference and she said to me, very in a hostile tone, she said, Young man, how do you expect to fill the shoes of a man like Reinhard Bonnke? And I think she called out the elephant in the room. Everybody was thinking this. Of and, course. and for a second, I felt intimidated. And then the Holy Spirit touched me. And I said to her, I said, lady, actually, I don't intend to fill the shoes of Reinhard Bonnke. I've been given shoes by the Holy Spirit. And my, my confidence is that as long as I stay in my shoes, the grace and the anointing will be there. And that's been the story ever since. Now, you've written a brand new book. Yeah. It's called Slaying Dragons, for starters. What's a dragon? Well, the, the metaphor of a dragon is used in Scripture very often. In, say, in fact, Satan himself is described as the, that old serpent, the great dragon in Revelation. So that's the end of the book. And then at the beginning of the Bible, the very first story is about a serpent that's right. tempting. So it's these serpentine monsters that the Bible uses as a metaphor for these demonic forces and these demonic powers that we wrestle with. And the Bible says something that Christians often lose sight of. It says that we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. In other words, what the Bible is telling us is that the real battle, even though we often are struggling and grappling with things before us, tangible things, visible things, what the Bible makes it very clear is that these are not our challenge. The real struggle is the one in the spiritual realm, the the war that we can't see with our eyes. But what happens in that battle determines the outcome on the earth. So it's very important that Christians understand. Tell me a couple examples of dragon. Now, we, we know about the dragons you face, you know, witch doctors, etc., in Africa and places like that. But uh, what kind of dragons does the housewife, the, the student, uh, the, the uh, businessman, the trash collector, uh, what, what kind of uh, 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 serpents are they facing? Well, I, I read an interesting story in a British uh, newspaper a while ago, and the, the headline, if I get it, if I paraphrase it, it said, um, a man's uh, rock python, eight-foot rock python named Tiny, kills him in his sleep. And I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, that man's snake probably started out as this cute little pet he brought home from the pet store, and he coddled it, and he nurtured it, and he raised it. And that was the beast that eventually took his life. And I thought, what an appropriate metaphor for what so many Christians and what so many believers and and people experience in their lives. Because the reality is, the things that we struggle with, the things that take people down, things like addiction, things like um, divorce, uh, problems with relationships, problems in in jobs, all these different things, the darkness, the, the bondages that destroy people's lives, they very often start as a small pet and we are the ones that feed those things. We nurture them, we coddle them, and then they end up destroying our lives. So one of the great keys is to learn how to identify those things when they're young, when they're small, and kill them in their inception. Smash those eggs. Now you have had a number, a lot of people come and uh, want to do your harm. Yeah. Witch doctors, yeah. etc. cetera. Um, Tell me, pick out one witch doctor that came to kill you. I mean, to kill you. Yeah. Well, this was also a story in Nigeria. And um, I I had to get the backstory of this later from the local Mm -hmm. pastors. But, you know, in Africa, uh, this is the the place where voodoo originated. And so it's very well known witch doctors, witchcraft, animism. We call it juju, which is just all this witchcraft stuff. Now, some people watching us right now, they think that's just, uh, that's not true yeah. but this is a real oh, yeah. demonic come uh, on one trip re- to Africa you won't need any more convincing it's real it's very very real and so um, there there are different levels of these witch mm-hmm. doctors even in the minds of the locals and some of them in their minds are good some of them are bad and it, what we know we understand that all of that stuff is evil but in their minds there's good and bad well this lady was bad even by voodoo standards one of the pastors told me he knew of 10 people that this woman had cursed to death Two of them were relatives of hers. And see, what this lady was feared is because her job was to put curses on people that would kill them. Well, you know, when we come into a city for one of our campaigns, Sid, there is one group of people that's not very happy about it. And that's the witch doctors. Why? Because when we come in, it's an, it's an amazing thing. The, their witchcraft stops working. It was a man that came to a campaign, a witch doctor. He was furious. He said his business is that you go to his house. He has these stones out in the lawn. You buy you stand, them. No, you, you pay money. Yeah. You stand on a stone and you hear what he would convince you is the voices of your, aunt, your deceased ancestors. And so he came to us. He was very mad. He said, ever since you came to the city and started preaching, my stones aren't speaking anymore. So now, for those that don't understand, 
If it's not their dead ancestors speaking, who is speaking? Well, the Bible describes this as familiar spirits. It's demons, really. Mm -hmm. It's demons. And this, again, is what what Paul's talking about. This is what we're wrestling against, these demonic powers that can't be seen, but they're very, very real nonetheless. So let me come back to my story with this, this lady witch doctor. I'm in the meeting there, and she has come to the, to the event to curse me and to kill me. So she's standing off to my right-hand side somewhere in the audience there. I'm preaching, not even aware of her presence. And she's got these talismans and fetishes and charms. I don't know what all it is. I don't even care. But she's over there getting ready to hurl some curse at me. And all of a sudden, just as she's about to pronounce that curse, the power of God hits her. She falls to the ground, starts screaming, writhing on this ground like a snake and, and, and foaming at the mouth. No this one when, touches her. No one I... touched her. I didn't even know she was there. And <laughs> this is when I became aware of her presence. I see this crazy woman writhing on the ground, screaming hysterically. And what do you think that I do in a, me- in a moment like that? I keep preaching. And I'll tell you why I keep preaching, because there's half a million people in front of me. We paid for that platform. I'm not going to give it to the (laughs) devil. He can go find his own platform. So I keep preaching, but we've trained the local pastors. See, here's the important thing. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. So we've trained those local pastors what to do when this happens, because we know it's going to happen inevitably at some point in one of these four or five day meetings. The local pastors grab her. They take her out back. We have a tent behind the platform. We call it the snake pit. That's where we cast out all the devils. And the local pastors, this doesn't have to be some famous evangelist that wrote a book about it. The local pastors are able to cast the demons out of this famous, powerful witch doctor. Because the reality is, Jesus said to the ordinary believers, I'm going to give you power over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. So, the best part of this... The best part of this, they, they bring this lady to me on the platform, live. In, you know, this is in real time. The demons have just come out of her. They led her to Jesus. She received Jesus as her Savior. And she stands there before me on the platform. And this is how she introduces herself to me. She said, I came here tonight to kill you. And I thought, well, it's nice to meet you too. <laughs> she said, but instead of killing you, tonight I've become a believer in Jesus. Because... Tonight I've seen that your Jesus is more powerful than my witchcraft. And that's the great triumph of the gospel. uh, How old are you now, Daniel? I'm 38. He has personally documented 21 million decisions for Jesus under his ministry. Is everyone fighting spiritual warfare? Yes. This is actually the whole Christian life, again, is framed biblically in this worldview of spiritual battles taking place. And when you begin to see this, you begin to realize that this is what it's all about. You know, for example, you read in the Bible, you see there's Moses and there's Pharaoh. And so it looks like there's this showdown between these two men. What you don't realize is that behind these two men, there are spiritual forces. Really, both of them are representatives of a bigger spiritual battle. The war is really not Moses and Pharaoh. It's not the children of Israel versus Egypt. It's God versus Satan. And both of them is working through their representative. When you get this worldview, what you realize is that God is working to accomplish his purposes and to defeat the power of the enemy through us, through those that believe in him, through those of us that he saved. And it takes this battle, even for the housewife, even for the garage mechanic, it lifts it up to this new level because our responsibility is to bring the kingdom of God into the world and to bring these forces of 
Satan to heal wherever we go. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, as you go preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. That's our mission statement as children of God. You, um, uh, you talked a little bit about this, but my favorite chapter in your book is how to slay your pet dragon. Yeah. Oh, I, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, 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 I was having a little bit of fun with this chapter because there's a very popular uh, movie out called How to Train Your Pet Dragon. I thought that's what most people are doing, training and nurturing the pet dragon. I said, what we need to teach people is how to kill that pet dragon. Because again, if you let that thing grow, it may be cute now. It, it may, may be devour you. Like, yeah. What we need is we need God to give us the grace to see the end from the beginning so that we begin making the right choices in the moments where we have the ability to take care of those things. Because I'll tell you what, when a dragon is full grown, it's a monster. It's very difficult to bring under control in our lives. So may God give us the wisdom, and that's what I wrote this chapter for, is how to recognize those things and how to snuff them out while they're still young. And, and you, you teach that we have everything we need to be victorious, to win. Yes. <laughs> we have so much to cover. Yes. I, I want to make sure Daniel has time to release this gift of miracles he operates under. So be sure to log on to SidRoth.org slash Daniel after this program ends to see a special ministry segment. Daniel has seen every miracle in the Bible multiple times. Even the dead raised. Yes. Next. In the name of Jesus. Deaf ears open in the name of Jesus. We will be right back to It's Supernatural. Call now and get Daniel Kalinda's powerful brand new book, Slaying Dragons, and this three audio message package, Wielding the Supernatural, which includes two anointed messages by Daniel Kalinda and one dynamic message by Reinhard Bonnke. This is an exclusive offer for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9683. Through Daniel Kalinda's brand new book, Slaying Dragons, you will understand the enemy's tactics to try and keep you from Accessing God's blessings and the answers to your prayers. This book will teach you to recognize and overcome the spiritual battles behind your everyday struggles. You'll learn about spiritual warfare from a conqueror's perspective, angels, demons, and the spiritual world, the different kinds of angels, and what purpose do they serve? Who is Satan? And where did he come from? What are demons? What authority do they have in this world? What does it mean to be demon-possessed or demonized? What the enemy is trying to accomplish? How to recognize his divine and how to slay him. Biblical principles for slaying dragons that are both doctrinally sound and practical. You will also receive Daniel Kalinda's brand new and exclusive audio teaching series entitled Wielding the Supernatural, which includes three anointed audio messages. The first is a special message by Daniel Kalinda, Things I Learned from Reinhard Bonnke. Daniel traveled with Reinhard Bonnke for the last 10 to 15 years. He reveals Reinhardt's keys and secrets to accessing miracles and the supernatural through 
Daniel's second message, Removing the Veil, you will understand how to access God's glory presence in a way you never thought possible before. You will also receive this powerful message by Reinhard Bonnke, Arrows of Deliverance. Through this message, you will understand how to release God's arrows of deliverance so you can access all the promises and blessings of God for your life. Don't miss out on getting Daniel Kalenda's powerful brand new book, Slaying Dragons, and this three audio message package, Wielding the Supernatural, which includes two anointed messages by Daniel Kalenda and one dynamic message by Reinhard Bonnke. This is an exclusive offer for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9683. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural, P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9683 or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. Yes, he is the way and the truth and the life. Say amen. We now return to It's Supernatural. You had seen what all these miracles that literally erupt when Reinhardt spoke. Did you think, I, I don't, what's going to happen if nothing happens? Did yep. you have that thought? I did have that thought. And in fact, I asked Evangelist Bonke about it and I was terrified. I said, I said, Pastor Bonke, what if nobody gets healed? And his answer to me changed my life. I think it will change other people's lives too. This is what he said. He said, Daniel, if you pray for nine people and not one of them gets healed, Pray for number 10 as though everyone before had been healed because your experience does not change the Word of God. And I learned a lesson there from, Boy, from a man of faith. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I learned what it is to be a man of faith is not that you always get the outcome you desire. It's that your trust is anchored in the Word of God. And I would just encourage you, my friend, maybe you have not yet seen that breakthrough that you're looking for in the supernatural. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep holding on to that Word. You will find the breakthrough. And the Lord is, is not a man that He should lie. He'll come through for you in Jesus' name. Why this big emphasis on miracles? Why, 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 I mean, it's okay, you're evangelist, you, you need it. Why does the average per- believer need to walk in miracles? Well, I mean, first of all, why wouldn't they? Why would a person want to just live a life on this lower level when there's this whole world of supernatural, miraculous life that you can live in? The whole Christian life is supernatural, or it is nothing. Amen. Because you can't even be saved Without a supernatural miracle, I would say the greatest miracle of all. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So Christianity was intended to be supernatural from beginning to end. And you can't live uh, in this world without tapping into it. Now, have you, you said, I know you've seen the dead race. Tell me about one case. Yeah, well, um, interestingly, the case that I'm about to tell you about, I just had a repeat experience of that three days ago. Well, which uh, one was better? Okay, so, no, I'm well, <laughs> I, I'm actually, this, the, I mean, which is better? Which dead person was better than Rose? <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you the story. So I was in the city of Sapele, in, which is another city in Nigeria. Yeah, I'm going to have you do both. How about that? Okay. A little right. voice do, in my ear told me that. I'll do, I'll do both. <laughs> so um, this, this mother had come to the meeting with her child who's very sick. And many people come to these meetings because they need a miracle, obviously. And so, um, our services are very long. This is not like in America where the, you're in and out in 45 minutes. Some of these meetings last six hours. And so during the meeting, the child died. 
with the boy, she he collapsed during the meeting. She, she tried to get him to wake up. He was dead. So we have a medical tent on the field. She took him to the medical tent. Doctors examined him. They said, there's nothing we can do. He's dead. They said, why don't you take him to the evangelist? Let him pray. And so she stood there at the steps of the platform for hours waiting for me. And by the time I got down there, he was, he was dead as a doornail. I mean, his body was already beginning to smell bad. And um, when I got down there, um, I, I didn't know at the time what was wrong with her. But I saw this lady holding this limp body. I knew it was something terribly terrible happening and so I went over to pray for the boy and she let go of him I caught him in my arms I'm glad you caught him yeah well I didn't know I didn't know he was dead I thought it was uh, you know something wrong I prayed for about 30 seconds handed the baby back to the the mother got in the car and drove away and as we're driving away I could see behind me just this eruption of joy and and I didn't know what was happening until the next night we arrived on the field my campaign director came and got me he said Daniel I have a surprise for you tonight and he took me around the back of the platform, and there was that little boy running around, playing, totally healed, totally well, not sick anymore, raised from the dead. And so now, this is just a few days ago now, the, almost the exact same thing happened uh, when I was at this last campaign in Nigeria, just last week. And it was a mother, this time it was a, a little girl. I was paying more attention this time. Okay. Because it was so similar to that, that other experience, uh-huh. that she put this dead baby in my arms, and I, and I made sure I... There was no heartbeat. There was no breath. Uh, Little eyes rolled back in her head. Such a beautiful face. And I prayed and I handed that baby back to the mother. And a few minutes later, she came back to life. And so this is what we're seeing. Jesus is alive. He still heals the sick, raises the dead, and does all kinds of miracles. You received a word from God about what's going to happen in this decade. Yes. Uh, the, The Lord spoke to me about this decade a couple of years ago already and said this coming decade will be a decade of double harvest. And so we are, you know, here, here's the thing. When God gives a word like that, you have one of two choices. You can either just dismiss it as hyper faith rhetoric, hyperbole, or you can grab a hold of it by faith. And so our whole ministry is grabbing a hold of this by faith. We are believing God for 150 million people to be saved over the next 10 years. And, and not only that, Sid, but I'm believing that this next decade is going to spark the greatest movement of evangelism in world history. Ten years from now, the world will not look the way it looks today. It won't be one or two or three great evangelists out there doing all these big meetings. It will be tens of thousands of people all over the world reaping a super massive harvest before Jesus returns. There are people that are sleeping giants. They're believers. But they're sleeping giants that are watching us right now. I want you to talk to them to wake up. Well, my friend, if that's you, and maybe you know that it's you, maybe you know that since you were a child, there's been a calling on your life for some purpose. You know that your, your purpose in life is not just to collect a paycheck, to go you know, eight to five every day, to raise a few kids and then die. You have this sense in your spirit that God created you to do something for eternity. He created you to do something that matters. I remember Evangelist Bonke saying to me years ago that when he was a boy, he, he was one of several brothers, and one of his brothers wanted to be a doctor. The other one wanted to be a lawyer. But when his dad said to him, Reinhard, what do you want to do? He said, Dad, I realized something the other day. I realized that with my mortal hands, 
I can help to build God's eternal kingdom. And with my mortal lips, I can help to preach the eternal gospel. My friend, listen to me. There is only one thing that matters in this world, a life lived in the will of God. The Bible says that the one that does the will of God abides forever. And you say, what is the will of God? My friend, it's very simple. Peter tells us that God is not willing. It is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Daniel says, the ones that leap many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And I want to challenge you to stop just living for the lower pleasures and the lower satisfactions of this life, but to take hold of that calling for which God created you. Begin to run that race because all of heaven is cheering you on. These are the last days. This is the greatest moment in history. And I say, if not you, who? If not now, when? If not here, where? It's time to rise up and take your place in Jesus' name. It's time to say, Hineni, here am I. Yes. That's what it's time for. We've added a special extended ministry segment for you. Just log on to sidroth.org slash Daniel after this program ends. I want Daniel to speak like he was actually in Africa at one of his meetings, and I fully expect the same miracles, the same impartation of experiential knowledge of God that is normal whenever he speaks to take place now. Call now and get Daniel Galinda's powerful brand new book, Slaying Dragons, and this three audio message package, Wielding the Supernatural, which includes two anointed messages by Daniel Kalinda and one dynamic message by Reinhard Bonnke. This is an exclusive offer for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9683. Through Daniel Kalinda's brand new book, Slaying Dragons, you will understand the enemy's tactics to try and keep you from Accessing God's blessings and the answers to your prayers. This book will teach you to recognize and overcome the spiritual battles behind your everyday struggles. You'll learn about spiritual warfare from a conqueror's perspective, angels, demons, and the spiritual world, the different kinds of angels, and what purpose do they serve? Who is Satan? And where did he come from? What are demons? What authority do they have in this world? What does it mean to be demon-possessed or demonized? What the enemy is trying to accomplish? How to recognize his divine and how to slay him. Biblical principles for slaying dragons that are both doctrinally sound and practical. You will also receive Daniel Kalinda's brand new and exclusive audio teaching series entitled Wielding the Supernatural, which includes three anointed audio messages. The first is a special message by Daniel Kalinda, Things I Learned from Reinhard Bonnke. Daniel traveled with Reinhard Bonnke for the last 10 to 15 years. He reveals Reinhardt's keys and secrets to accessing miracles and the supernatural through Daniel's second message, Removing the Veil. You will understand how to access God's glory presence in a way you never thought possible before. You will also receive this powerful message by Reinhard Bonnke, Arrows of Deliverance. Through this message, you will understand how to release God's arrows of deliverance for yourself and others so you can access all the promises and blessings of God for your life. This series includes prayers for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to overcome emptiness, loneliness, and that feeling of something missing. For the glory of God to rest on your head and heart. For quick answers to the prayers you have been praying. I believe that as you get these keys and these tools and these secrets from the Word of God into your life, it will make you victorious 
and allow you to apprehend that thing which Jesus died to give you, which is a victorious and overcoming Christian life. Don't miss out on getting Daniel Kalenda's powerful brand new book, Slaying Dragons, and this three audio message package, Wielding the Supernatural, which includes two anointed messages by Daniel Kalenda and one dynamic message by Reinhard Bonnke. This is an exclusive offer for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $35. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9683. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural, P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9683 or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. Come on, let's put our hands together for Jesus. Can you do that? Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise and the honor that's due to your name. You're wonderful, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. Amen. What a joy it is to be here with you. I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus. How many of you have enjoyed this so far? Well, this is only the beginning. I know the best is yet to come. I want to also greet those of you that are watching online right now or wherever you are. The great news is that the same anointing, the same power of the Holy Spirit that we are experiencing right here in this studio, you can experience in your life in your car. Don't watch. You can listen in your car. Don't watch while you're driving in your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you are. Just allow the Holy Spirit to touch you, allow his presence to fill you. And I just want to say to those of you in the studio that uh, I know being in a studio environment, you kind of feel like you have to behave and uh, maybe you feel like it has to be a little bit more antiseptic. But I want to encourage you just to respond in a way that's natural. Uh, Don't be afraid of the cameras. And in fact, what I'd like for us to do is would you just stand with me? And let's just, let's just begin to pray right now. Come on, would you just lift your voices and just begin to pray. Lord, we love you. We worship you in this place. Lord, we welcome your presence. Come on, just begin to welcome the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we hunger and we thirst for you. We need you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. Father, I pray. That today, as as I minister in this place, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Lord, you are a God of miracles. You are a a God of signs and wonders. You are a God of great demonstration. We believe in you. And Lord, even as we're here on the set of It's Supernatural, Lord, I pray that indeed that it would be supernatural and that we would experience the supernatural and that we would go from this place forever changed in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. How many of you know a mentoring session and preaching evangelistically on the platform in Africa are two very different things? And so I'm going to try to find the happy medium between those two things. I realize that many of you here are already believers. You've already been washed in the blood of Jesus. And uh, there are also many of you maybe in this room or watching that have not yet come to know personally and experientially the power of God. And my prayer is that all of you would experience that today in your own way. And so what I want to talk to you about today is the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Now, of course, uh, you've listened to the show. You've seen the show. You know that my book was about slaying dragons. But how many of you know the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony? So it's the blood that Jesus shed that I believe is the thermonuclear bomb of spiritual warfare. Without that blood, we are sitting ducks for the power of the enemy. 
I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were, we were talking about Old Testament miracles as opposed to New Testament miracles. And I said to that person, do you realize, and I wonder if you realize this, that there is no Old Testament example that I'm aware of. Maybe Sid will correct me later. But there is no Old Testament example I'm aware of of anyone casting out demons. Those great prophets, even Elijah and Moses and Elisha, they did wonderful things. They parted seas. They called fire down from heaven. But none of them was able to cast out demons until Jesus came. And the reason is because Jesus is the one that broke the devil's back through his blood. And it's because of his blood that we can have victory. Amen? And it says, even though we are in a place uh, right now, all of you that are believers here, I want you to know something. We have already won. Now, I I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't read to the back of the book yet, but I'll just tell you in the end, we win. But we've already won. And, And you say, well, Daniel, how come even though the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, how come I am still being tormented by the devil? And it's because we have to take what Jesus purchased on the cross and bring it into the fallen world now where it can be actualized in our lives and the lives of others. So we're going to talk about that a bit more. But if you have your Bibles, I'm going to uh, be speaking to you today from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. So you can go ahead and turn there with me if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. And um, I'm going to use several different texts to talk about the blood of Jesus because, you know, some people think the blood of Jesus is a gory subject. Um, I believe that without it, there is no such thing as salvation. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm not ashamed of the blood of Jesus. And I hope you aren't either. Let me just read this to you very quickly. First Peter chapter one, verse 18, for in as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold received from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that you would speak to every heart that's not only listening in this room, but those that are watching by way of video, those that are watching online. Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice and never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to understand something about the blood of Jesus, first of all. The blood of Jesus is not like the blood of any other person. You know, if you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I'm sick, I need, uh, I need you to fix my, my headache. What the doctor will do is he'll examine you and then he will write a prescription. And many of you know this routine. He'll write a prescription, he'll give you a pill that is meant to treat a problem that you have. And so you'll take the pill that the doctor prescribes and it will fix one problem. But here's the, here's the, the bad news. It will cause two new problems. Every pill the doctor gives you fixes one problem, gives you two new ones. So the next day you go back, you say, Doc, today my head is fine. Now my stomach hurts. He says, no problem. Here's another pill. For every problem, the doctor has a different pill. But when you go to God, he doesn't have a different pill for every problem that you have. God only has one pill. He only has one remedy. He only has one solution. He only has one answer for all of the problems that you face in your life. If you say, God, I need salvation, he will say, here's the blood of Jesus. You say, God, I need healing. He'll say, here's the blood of Jesus. God, I need deliverance, the blood of Jesus. I need blessing, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. It is God's answer 
for you today. I heard, I said this one time in a, a pastor, obviously he was a dad because this is a bit of a dad joke. He said, yeah, God's only pill is the gospel. I said, yeah, I like that. So maybe you're saying, well, well, Daniel, why is the blood of Jesus so powerful? I remember one time there was a, a lady in India when she heard this, she asked us, she said, how is it possible that the blood of Jesus is so powerful? She said, if he was a righteous man, then maybe his blood could save one other person besides himself. And if he was a very, very righteous man, maybe his blood could save 10 people besides himself. And maybe if he was the most righteous man that ever lived, then his blood could save 100 people besides himself, but never more. And I want to tell you tonight the secret to why the blood of Jesus is so powerful. You want to know? Okay, so I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, it's powerful because the Bible says so. Okay, now I know that sounds like a cop-out, but I need you to understand that this is not just another book. And what I'm talking to you about today is not just my opinion. I'm not just giving you my philosophy or my doctrine. I'm telling you what God's Word says. And the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. The Bible says that he honors his Word above his very name. So these things that I'm telling you today, they are as sure as it is that I'm standing here talking to you right now. Amen? So that's reason number one. Let's get that out of the way. Reason number two is I want you to think about who Jesus was. And this is very, very important. The blood of Jesus was not ordinary blood because Jesus was not an ordinary man. Now, if you read the Bible, you'll discover something. And modern science has shown some light on this because in recent times in our modern world, advances in science have have given us incredible insights into the way the world works. And one of those insights is this, that the blood of a person comes from the Father. The blood comes from the Father. So let me give you an example. I know this is a terrible example, but it will do. Let's say that you have a woman, she has a child, and she doesn't know who the father is. Maybe there's three men that might be the father of that child. How can she figure out which one is the real father? Well, she'll take that baby to the doctor. She'll take those men to the doctor. They'll draw samples and they'll compare the blood of the baby with the blood of the men. And then under the microscope, they will see the evidence who the father is because the blood comes from the father. Now, let me ask you a question. We'll see how much you guys know about the Bible. Tell me, who is it that was the father of Jesus? Okay, now I'm sure there, everybody in this room is all Bible scholars, so uh, I wish you'd have said the other thing. I would have wound you up really good. But for those of you watching, maybe you thought to yourself, your first reaction was, well, Joseph was the father of Jesus. And my friend, listen to me. If Joseph had been the biological father of Jesus, then the blood of Jesus would be as ordinary as your blood and as ordinary as my blood. But the Bible takes great pains to tell us that that is not the case. In fact, Luke who was in his time a medical doctor, I think he must have gone and interviewed Mary. And he said, Mary, tell me about this experience. When you conceived Jesus Christ, this great man, greatest of all men that ever lived, and Mary told him a fascinating story. She said, I was a virgin. I was a young woman. I was engaged to be married to Joseph, but we had not yet come together sexually. And in the night, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to me and I was I was afraid. And the angel said, Mary, don't be afraid because what's about to happen is of the Holy Ghost. 
She described the moment when it happened. She said, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me and the power of the Most High overshadowed me. And in her womb was placed the seed of Jesus Christ. And he grew, the Bible says, he was born of a virgin, fulfilling prophecies of ancient days. My brothers and sisters, you have to understand that Jesus is not just an ordinary man. The blood of Jesus is the blood of God. And when Jesus bled on that cross, God was bleeding. And that's why this blood is more powerful than just able to save one person or 10 people. It is able to save the whole world. In fact, I will go further than that. I will tell you there is enough power in one drop of the blood of Jesus to save every soul and to heal every sickness and to break every curse of every person that has ever lived in all of the world and all of history because it is the blood of God himself poured out for you and me. And it gets even better than that because Jesus didn't just shed one drop of that blood. The Bible says that he poured out all of his blood for us. Hallelujah. And I want to talk to you about the power in the blood of Jesus. So let me give you four things that the blood of Jesus has the power to do. Is that okay? Number one, it cleanses us. Everybody say, it cleanses us. us. Say it again, it cleanses us. us. First John chapter one, verse seven tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Everybody say, all sin. All sin. Isn't this wonderful? And I think many times, those of you that are already believers, we lose sight of how incredible this is, how glorious of a truth this is. I want you to think back. I don't want you to dig up skeletons, but I want you to think back on your life and realize all of the things that you could have been sent to hell for. All the things you did wrong, all the people that you hurt, all the times that you failed and missed the mark. And some of us sit here in this room, and some of you are watching online, you shouldn't even be alive right now. You, you should have died in a car accident. You should have died in a drug overdose. You should have died in an armed robbery or in a hospital bed or something else, and God had mercy on you. My friend, listen, he, he forgave you. He cleansed you, and it's such a miracle. But here's what you have to understand. The blood of Jesus cleanses not just because it's such a powerful substance, but because what the blood of Jesus represents is that he took your sin upon himself. He took your lying. He took your stealing. He took your adultery. He took your darkness. He took your addiction. He took your pain upon himself and shed his blood to blot it out. There's power in the blood of Jesus. I... Sid, you asked me to, to talk like I'm in Africa, so I'll tell you, when, I, when I'm in Africa, I tell this story of when I was a boy, and, and one year for my birthday, my mother bought me a gift. It was a very nice shirt, and um, it was a white shirt, and it made me feel very handsome when I put it on. You know, it was one of those pieces of clothing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you put it on, and you just feel like you're 10 feet tall. Or maybe, ladies, you don't feel 10 feet tall. That probably wouldn't be a good feeling for you. Maybe you feel like a supermodel. You put on that new dress. And I couldn't wait to go to school the next day and show it off to all of my friends. And so I was strutting around my school. I was a little boy, okay? Have some patience with me. I'm strutting around my school the next day like a peacock. And uh, my friends all said, wow, what a nice shirt. I said, yes, I know very much. And uh, lunchtime came. My mother had packed a, a lunch with some red tomato sauce for me. And uh, I, I ate like most, you know, 10, 11-year-old boys eat. I didn't eat it. I inhaled it. 
And um, afterwards, I went to the bathroom to wash my hands. I looked into the mirror, and one little drop of that red sauce had fallen right into the middle of my new white shirt. And I thought to myself, this is no problem. I'll just scrub it out. So I got a paper towel, and I started to rub it. And then I looked in the mirror again, and you know what happened? That little stain became a bigger stain. And I still wasn't too worried. I thought, all I need is some water. So I put some water on a, another paper towel, and I started scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing. And as I scrubbed, the stain got bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, I realized it was a lost cause. And uh, I wasn't walking around like a proud peacock anymore. Now I was walking around ashamed and dejected. And when my mother saw me later that night, she said, son, what's wrong? And I started to cry. And I said, mom, I ruined my new shirt. And she said, Danny, that's what she calls me. My mother can call me Danny. You can't. (laughs) She said, Danny, it's okay. I'm going to fix it for you. And I said, no, mama, you can't. I've already tried. It's, it doesn't come out when you try to take it out. It only gets worse. She put her arm around me. She said, son, let me see what I can do. And I took that shirt and I gave it to her. And I don't know what she did. She went away and mothers have amazing powers. All I can tell you is that when she brought it back to me the next day, it was as good as new. How many of you love your mothers? Mothers are amazing. They have superpowers. They're supernatural. However, there are some problems that even your mother cannot solve. Because your mother can take the stain out of a Uh, a shirt, but she cannot remove the stain from your soul. She cannot remove the stain from your heart. And my brothers and sisters, ever since Adam and Eve sinned for the first time in the Garden of Eden, there has been a stain on the soul of mankind. And people have been trying to remove that stain and that shame. And they've tried everything. They've turned to the government and it got worse. They turned to the military and it got worse. They tried science They tried philosophy. It got worse and worse. They turned to religion and it got worse. And people are trying so hard to fix this problem. I tell you, when you turn on the news and you listen to the problems in our world, war and hatred and racism and all these other things, we we treat them like they are the surface issues that can be diagnosed with a government policy. They cannot be removed by, by surface level things because they are problems of the heart. And there's only one Remedy for the problems of the heart. This is what Jesus says. My son, my daughter, give to me your heart. What will he do with that heart? He will take it. He will wash it in his precious blood. And when he gives it back to you, it will be a completely new heart. I love the way David prayed. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Say it cleanses us. Number two, it heals us. Say it heals us. It heals us. In Isaiah 53, 5, we read this amazing statement in the midst of this description of the suffering servant, the Messiah, who would come and give his life for the people. It talks about how he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And then it says this amazing thing. By his stripes, we are healed. And here's what you have to understand. That in in the true biblical sense of the word, salvation is not just about saving you from hell. 
The word salvation in, in the New Testament is the Greek word sozo. Everybody say sozo. sozo. And that word means to be saved, not just spiritually, but physically and mentally and emotionally. The whole person inside and out is redeemed. That's what salvation is. And, and for our purposes, what I'm trying to tell you is that the blood of Jesus is able to heal you from sicknesses. We're going to pray in a few minutes and miracles are going to happen in this room. And for those of you that are watching right now, why are they going to happen? Now, here, here's an amazing thing. I'm not even going to come around and lay my hands on you. I don't need to do that. And of course, those of you that are watching right now uh, on the video, I'm not going to be able to lay my hands on you, but I don't need to. Do you know why? Because it's not Daniel Kalenda that's the healer. It's the blood of Jesus that heals us. Say amen. amen. And so maybe you say, well, well, Daniel, I believe that Jesus is able to heal me. But how do I know that he wants to heal me? And this is what often keeps people from being able to receive miracles. Of course, many of you know the story in the Bible where there was a, a leper that came to Jesus from healing. And this is what the leper said. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I love the way he said that because most of us would say it this way. We would say, Lord, if you can, then you will. I mean, when you go to the doctor, your question is not, is the doctor willing to heal you? The question is, is your doctor able to heal you? Does he have the medicine? Does he have the training? Has the, has the, uh, the, the technology gotten to that place yet? That's not what this man said. He said, Lord, if you will, then you can. Because this leper understood something that you also know that Jesus has the power to heal you. How many of you believe Jesus can heal you? The question is, will he? Is he willing? Does he have that desire in his heart? And if that is something that's causing you a problem right now, let me settle it for you forever. How do I know that it's God's will to heal you? If you ever want to know what the will of God is, all you've got to do is take one simple step. Open your Bible and look at Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the perfect expression of everything that is the will of the Father. In fact, it's so extreme that Jesus said, if you've seen me physically, you have seen the Father. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son that is in the bosom of the Father has made him known. Jesus is God's will. And what do we see from Jesus? That Jesus was no friend of sickness. Everywhere Jesus went... Everywhere his feet carried him, they carried him to the sick. And every time he found sick people, he stretched out his hand and he touched them and he healed them. And they rose up and they walked. And many times he healed everybody in a whole city because the, his stated mission was this. He said, the son of man has come to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he loves to do. So that tells us two things. Number one, it's God's will to heal. Number two, sickness is a work of the devil. And if you ever get those two things mixed up, you know, there are a lot of people in the church, they tell you the opposite, that it's not God's will to heal. And in fact, he sends sickness and disease to teach you lessons. That's right. I don't need sickness to teach me. I've got God's word to teach me. I've got the Holy Spirit to teach me. I don't need the devil to teach me. And so when Jesus was walking this earth in the flesh, I think it was a very big problem for the devil. Because can you imagine, the devil is not, he, he is not omnipotent or omniscient. He doesn't know the end from the beginning. He didn't know what was happening. As far as he was concerned, maybe Jesus was going to heal every sick person on the face of the earth. 
And I think they must have had a meeting in hell. And I think Satan called his lieutenants together. He said, what are we going to do about Jesus? And, and at the back of the room, one of those demons lifted his hand. He said, I, I have an idea. You told us that everywhere his feet carry him. They carry him to the sick. I say we nail those feet to the wood of a rugged cross and they will never walk to the sick people again. And everybody clapped. All those devils said, yeah, that's a good idea. And then another hand went up. You know, this is a parable, right? (laughs) Another hand went up. It was another one of those lieutenants. And he said, I've got another idea. You said that everyone who's sick, he stretches out his hands and he touches them. I say we nail those hands to the wood of the cross as well. And they were very happy, but they were about to make the biggest mistake in history. In fact, the Bible says that if the rulers of this age had known what they were about to do, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because on that day when they nailed him to that cross, the blood began to flow from his hands. And the blood began to flow from his feet. And the blood was flowing from that crown of thorns in his head. The blood was flowing from the beard they had plucked out of his face. The blood was flowing from the, the, the wound of the spear that had been thrust into his side. The blood was flowing from the back where they had ripped it open with a whip. And the blood was flowing. And for the first time in history, God himself was bleeding. And that blood flowed down his body and dripped off of his toes And pools of blood formed at the foot of that cross. And my friends, from that day to this day, a river of that blood has been flowing through the world. And wherever it goes, the sick are healed. Wherever it goes, bondages are broken. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Every manner of sickness and disease is eradicated. That's the power in the blood of Jesus. And I believe that today one drop of that blood will fall on you in this studio. One drop of blood will fall on you as you watch on your mobile phone. And you will discover that that the blood of Jesus heals us. Everybody say, it cleanses us. us. Say, it heals us. us. Number three, it protects us. It protects us. us. You know, there's this story in the book of Exodus. You know it, Exodus chapter 3, it's the story of the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt and God had sent plague after plague upon Pharaoh. Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And finally, God said to Moses, his servant, the one leading the nation of Israel, he said, Moses, now I'm going to do something that Pharaoh will not be able to ignore. And and God revealed his plan to Moses. This is what God said. He said, Moses, in the night, a spirit of death is coming into the land of Egypt. And that spirit is going to go around and visit every home. And wherever it goes, there's going to be death Wherever it goes, there's going to be destruction and fear and torment. But God said to Moses, Moses, I want to make sure that you are protected from this. And I want to make sure that my people are protected from this. So he said, Moses, here's what you do. Take a lamb. Isn't it amazing how, how, how a prophetic God is? When you read the Bible from beginning to end, you see these things foreshadowed and revealed. All the way back there in the Old Testament, God says, Moses, take a lamb, a spotless lamb. Yeah. Kill it and take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the door of your house. And listen to this. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but one day I realized what God told Moses to do was very interesting. He said, take the blood and put it on the horizontal beam and then put it on the vertical beam, the door of the house. And in my mind, I don't know if you do this. When I read the Bible, I try to visualize the stories. And in my mind, what I saw was this. I saw some Jewish man with that blood on a 
on a piece of hyssop. And he's applying it in the corners of the door. Vertical beam. Horizontal beam. Other side. Vertical beam. Horizontal beam. My friend, if you would have walked through Goshen, what you would have seen is crosses, red crosses and blood on every door of every house. And this is what God said to Moses. Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Because you see that bloody cross on the door was a sign to every spirit and every eye that this house has been marked by a blood that cannot be trespassed. No trespassing here. And this is the same today, my brothers and sisters, that when that blood is applied to the door of your heart, when that cross of blood is put upon you, no devil will dare to touch you or he'll burn his filthy fingers. The blood of Jesus protects us. Now, my, my time is limited. I want to move on because, you know, um, we talked about this when I was with Sid Roth on the show. You know that many times these demons have tried to, or these, these witch doctors have tried to put demonic curses on me and kill me. And what I tell them publicly is I say to them, I am not afraid of your curse. I'm not afraid of your devil. The devil is afraid of me because I'm marked by the blood of Jesus. Not because I'm so strong. It's not because I know so much about the Bible. It's not because I'm so good looking. It's because the blood of Jesus protects us. Amen. And the blood of Jesus that protects me will protect you as well. And so um, for the sake of time, let me move on to my final point. And to me, this is the most important one. Number four, the blood of Jesus purchased us. Everybody say it, purchased us. And this is literally what Peter says here in this passage we read. For inasmuch as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold received from your vain conversation by tradition of your fathers, but you are redeemed, you are bought back, you are purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Acts chapter 20, it says it even more clear. It says you were purchased by his blood. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus paid the price with his blood on the cross. Not just to cleanse you from sins. Not just to protect you from the devil. Not just to heal your body from sickness. But to purchase you and to make you his own. Sometimes people say to me, Daniel, it's my life. I'll live the way I want to live. You are wrong. You have been purchased with a price, not with any price in this world, not with dollars, not with euro, not with silver or gold, according to Peter, but according to Peter, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is a side note. What have we been redeemed from, according to Peter? Say it. Shout it out. Everybody shout it. If you know it, don't be shy. Okay, I've heard death, sin, addiction. Okay, are all of those answers are good? And they're all true. They're all right. Whether you said sin, death, curse, addiction, all those things. But look at what he actually says. This is amazing. He says, you were redeemed. You were not redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold from the empty way of living that you inherited from your ancestors. You know, the blood of Jesus was shed Not just so you could go to heaven when you die, but so that God could redeem you from a worthless life. 
What a glorious truth. You see, Jesus didn't purchase us to make us his slaves. He purchased us to set us free. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And you have one of two choices. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a child of God. Amen. Amen. I choose to be a child of God. Now, once again, because Sid asked me to talk to you like I'm in Africa, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories. We've also been talking today about Evangelist Bonke, who is, in my opinion, the greatest preacher uh, in my lifetime. And I'm going to tell you one of my favorite Reinhard Bonke stories. Can I do that? I think it brings all of this together very nicely. I heard him tell this in Africa many times, and I stole it from him. I, I don't let a good idea go unstolen. And so... The story that he told, by the way, it's his original story. He made this up. It's a parable. You know, Jesus used parables. So I think we can use parables too. And so the story is about a man who's a very wealthy man. And he owns a mansion, a mansion with 10 rooms, five rooms on the top and five rooms on the bottom. And so one day this man hears a knocking at the door. He answers the door. And do you know who's standing there? It's Jesus shining like the sun. And when the man sees Jesus, his heart is filled with joy. He said, Lord, I've heard so many good things about you. I've heard that you cleanse people. I've heard that you forgive people. I've heard that you heal and protect people. He said, Lord, I want you to come and live in my house. And he said, Lord, if you will come and be my guest, here is what I'll do for you today. I'm going to give you the best room in my house. It's a room on the top floor. It's the master bedroom. It has a big bathtub and a big shower and a big panoramic window overlooking the property. He said, Lord, if you'll stay with me as my guest, you can have that room. Well, Jesus is a gentleman. He said, thank you very much. He came inside. He went upstairs and the man was happy. But that night there was another knocking at the door. This time it was a terrible, violent, ferocious knocking. And when the man heard that knocking so late, he looked at his watch. He said, I wonder who it could be at this late hour. Ah, I should probably look and see who's there. So he cracked the door open. He peeked outside. And do you know who is there? It was the devil. Come on, you're going to have to help me. Show me. Show me those devil horns. Okay. You're not too cool for that. You're not that cool at all. Come on, show me those devil horns. Okay. When he saw the devil, he said, oh, no, devil, I don't want you in my house. And he tried to shut the door. But it was too late. The devil had already put one foot in the door. And I want you to know, this is always how the devil works. He always starts with one toe, but he never ends there. Soon the devil had put his knee in the door. Then he put his elbow in the door. And then he put his shoulder in the door. And soon he had burst into that man's house. And there they were struggling through the night, fighting. And that poor man was trying to overcome the devil in his own strength. But he was no match. The devil poured filthy temptations over him all night long. And finally, early the next morning, as the sun was rising, the devil slipped out the back door and went away. And just about that time, Jesus came down from upstairs. And when the man saw Jesus, he suddenly remembered. He said, Jesus, you were here last night. He said, Jesus, you and I, together, we could have beat up the devil. He said, Jesus, what happened? Did you fall asleep? Did you forget about me? And Jesus said, well, sir, it's true. You've given me one room in your house. But there are 10 rooms in this house and the other nine belong to you. The man said, okay, okay. He said, Lord, I understand. We're going to change this right now. He said, Lord, as of today, I'm going to split my house with you 50-50. Some of you already see where this is going. Five rooms for you. Five rooms on the bottom for me. 
Jesus is a gentleman. He said, thank you very much. He went upstairs. And that night, another terrible knocking at the door. And do you know who was standing there? It was the devil again. And the devil broke in. And there they were fighting through the night. The devil pouring filthy temptations over the man. And he was unable to resist. Finally, early the next morning as the sun was rising, the devil slipped out the back door. And just about that time, Jesus came down. And this time when the man saw Jesus, he got angry. Can you believe that nerve? He said, Jesus, what is wrong with you? He said, Jesus, I've been more than generous. I have given you five of the ten rooms in my house, including the master bedroom. He said, Jesus, why won't you do anything to help me? Jesus said, sir, 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 calm down. He said, it's true, you've given me five rooms, but the other five rooms belong to you. Ah, the man said, I'm starting to see. He said, Lord, here's what I'm going to do for you. As of today, I'm giving you all the rooms in my house, except the one where I sleep. Nine rooms for you, one room for me. He said, Lord, you know, there are some, thing, some things in that room that are very personal. There are some things that you wouldn't like, some things I keep under the bed, some things I keep behind the door, some things up in the loft. There's some things, Lord, that I need to keep private in that room. Nine rooms you can have. Only one room belongs to me. Jesus is a gentleman. He said, thank you very much. He went upstairs. Do you know what happened that night? And you know who it was? And do you know what happened? The devil tormenting him through the night. And early the next morning as the sun was rising, the devil slips away. And just about that time, here comes Jesus. And this time when the man saw Jesus, he began to cry. <laughs> like, so, like some of you cry at the altar in your church every week. <laughs> Oh, I stepped on some toes. I know. I heard it. And he said, Lord, don't you love me? Why won't you help me? I've been so generous to you. I've tried so hard. Every night I fight the devil all by myself and you do nothing for me. What's wrong, Lord? Don't you love me? Jesus put his arm around the man. He said, sir, sir, calm down. He said, it's true. You've given me nine rooms, but the title deed of this house is still in your name. And if you are the master of the house, then you must be the provider of the house. And if you are the master of the house, then you must be the protector of the house. Jesus said, sir, let me give you some advice. Instead of inviting me to live as a guest in your house, give your house to me and I will invite you to live in my house. Well, it was like a revelation, one that some of you are having right now, by the way. He took the keys out of his pocket. He handed them to the Lord. He said, Lord, take it. Every room, every window, every door, every piece of furniture, every blade of grass, everything belongs to you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus is a gentleman. He said, thank you very much. He took the keys, went upstairs. And that night, that night, another terrible knocking at the door. And when the man heard the knocking at the door, his knees started knocking. <laughs> his hands started trembling because he had been in this place so many times. 
He knew what was about to happen when that knock came. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when you hear the knock and you begin to sweat and you realize what's about to happen because you've been there so many times before. And his trembling hand was reaching for that doorknob and he was just about to open it when he felt something. A tapping on his shoulder. He turned around and you know who was standing behind him? It was Jesus shining like the sun. Jesus said, sir, I believe this house belongs to me. Please step out of the way. I will answer the door. And Jesus didn't crack the door open. Oh, no. Jesus isn't afraid of any devil. He threw that door open and he said, who's there? You know, some people have a, a, a perception of Jesus that he's this little hippie flower child. I tell you, he's the great and mighty warrior. I tell you, hell trembles at the mention of his name. And when Satan looked up and saw Jesus, imagine his shock. That wasn't the person he expected to answer the door. I think he looked at the address on the house and he scratched one of his horns. He said, that's not right. He looked back at Jesus, looked at the number, Jesus, number, Jesus, number, Jesus, number. He couldn't figure it out. So he backed away from that door very slowly. He bowed himself to the ground. And this is what he said. Please excuse me, sir. I think I came to the wrong house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus purchased us. Hallelujah. So here's what we're going to do right now. The blood of Jesus that cleanses, that, that delivers, that protects, that heals is going to come into your life. But more importantly, that blood that purchased you is going to receive the reward for which it paid today in Jesus' name. And you may have been in church for 30 years, 40 years. You're still struggling with addictions and the devil's tormenting you. I tell you today in Jesus' name, it's over because you're going to surrender your life to Jesus. Not just 30%, not just 50%, not 90%, but 100%. Some of you have been singing, I surrender all your whole life, but you've been holding on to that one room. Today it ends. Maybe you're watching this online. Maybe you're even in this room. You've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. I want you to understand that Jesus died to set you free. This is not just a philosophy. It's not just a religious idea. It is reality. And so right now, If that's the desire of your heart, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you want to make Him the Lord of your life and surrender everything to Him, I'm asking you to bow your head and close your eyes. Those of you that are watching right now, you can do this as well. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm asking everyone to pray in support of those that are doing it for the the first time. Don't whisper this. I want to hear it. I want it to come out of your heart as a cry, as a prayer. And the Bible says that Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you ready? Are you ready? Say, dear Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, I come to you today. today, A sinner sinner, needing salvation. salvation. Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, I cannot save myself. myself, But I cast myself myself, at your feet. feet, Jesus Christ. Son of David, David, have mercy on me. me. Forgive my sins. Break my chains. Set me free in the name of Jesus. I now confess with my mouth what I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus is my Savior. As of this day, I belong to Jesus. 
and Jesus belongs to me. I believe it. I receive it. I confess it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I want to, I want to encourage you. If you prayed that prayer with me, this is not the end of your journey. This was the first step. And now you have a lifetime ahead of you of walking with Jesus and growing in the image of Christ. I want you to get connected with a local church. I want you to become faithful to the church. Read your Bible every day. Begin to sit before the Lord and just let him speak to you. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I promised you that we would pray for the sick. So what I'm going to do here just to save some time and to empower you is I want to teach you to heal the sick. Can we do that? Yes. Here, here's what I learned. And I wanted to spell, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. I wanted to dispel a couple of myths that keep people from flowing in miracles. You know, I was raised in the Pentecostal church, grew up in the Pentecostal church my whole life. And um, I heard about miracles all my life, even though I didn't see very many. I heard people talking about healing who I don't think had ever seen a miracle. They taught on it. They preached on it. They read scriptures on it, but they never actually experienced it. And I discovered that that's a very bad idea to teach something you've never actually experienced. It can lead you into all kinds of funny ideas. So one of the things that I was taught growing up was this. If you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, it's not that person's fault. Don't blame them. It's not God's fault. Don't blame him. It's your fault. Blame yourself. Now, that sounds like a very, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of an idea. And a a lot of people like that, especially the old Pentecostals. But here's the problem with that. If you have a culture in which that is the mentality, you know what happens? Nobody prays for the sick. Because just in case they don't get healed, nobody wants it to be their fault. And you know what happens if you don't pray for the sick? Miracles don't happen. I had, a, I had a young man in a school of evangelism that came up to me and he said, you know, I, I've heard you talking about stories of seeing people raised from the dead. He said, I've, I've been in Africa and I've been all around the world. I've, I've been preaching the gospel for years. I've never seen a person raised from the dead. He said, what's my problem? Well, I didn't know this guy. I never met him before. And, you know, a good idea, one, one good rule of thumb is when you're trying to troubleshoot, you start with the simplest thing. It's like when your grandma calls and asks why her computer isn't working. First question is, is it plugged in? So you always start with the basics. No, don't assume that anybody knows the basics. So I said to him, tell me something, sir. How many dead people have you prayed for? He said, none. I said, I think I know your problem. If you don't pray for a dead person, you'll never see one come back to life. If you don't lay hands on the sick, you'll never see one healed. If you don't preach the gospel, you'll never see someone saved. If you don't rebuke demons and take authority over them, they'll never come out. And so this is what happens is we have a, a culture in the church that's paralyzed by the fear of failure. So yeah. nobody does anything and they don't get the results. And then one day, you know, again, I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but my mind was set free working with Evangelist Bonke and seeing the ease with which the miracles flowed. And in fact, in my, in my imagination, when I heard the stories of the miracles in Africa, I envisioned Evangelist Bonke conjuring up a big cloud of miracle dust like a character out of a Disney movie, like Jafar from Aladdin, you know, this real dramatic scene with, with a music crescendoing in the background. And what I discovered that shocked me most of all, it was nothing like that. 
It was so simple. It was so easy. And what God began to do is he began to strip away all of those things that I thought I knew about the miraculous. The greatest thing you can learn about miracles is that you need to unlearn almost everything that you've learned. You know, the places where I've discovered are most difficult to see miracles are in the Pentecostal churches. Because we think we know everything about the Holy Spirit. We literally wrote the book on it. And the Holy Spirit, we, we expect him to read our manual before it starts to work in our churches. You want, by contrast, the easiest place that I've seen miracles happen is out on the streets. Or in these gospel campaigns where it's a bunch of unbelievers. They don't know anything. They just believe what you say and they get the, the miracles because of simple faith and trust. They don't convolute it. So here's the revelation I had. This was many years later. I suddenly realized. If I have to take the blame when people don't get healed, then I should get to take the credit when they do get healed. But you know we don't get to take the credit, right? So if you don't get to take the credit, why should you have to take the blame? I decided, you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to unhitch the little red wagon of my ego from the great eternal locomotive of God's glory. I'm just going to separate the two. And I'm just going to do what he told me to do without implying anything and taking anything back on myself. He said, heal the sick. I'm going to go lay my hands on him and do my part and trust him with the rest. I already told you what Evangelist Bonke said to me. He said, if you pray for nine people and none of them get healed, pray for number 10. Like all them before had been healed. And I began to do that, and I saw miracles. Let me tell you one more story, and then we're going to pray. When I was in Bible school, again, it was a great move of God, but I didn't see very many miracles. I think in my mind and in the minds of many people around, we viewed the miraculous, or healing especially, as the apex, the pinnacle of what happens when you arrive in Christian performance, when you're holy enough, when you pray long enough, when you fast enough, when you know enough of the Bible You finally reach this great place where now you can begin to heal the sick. And so in Bible college, we're in the midst of a revival. We're in services till 3 o'clock in the morning, back in classes, 8 o'clock the next day, going to classes all day long, praying, worshiping. I would pray back in those days for four, five, six hours a day. And I'm in the prayer chapel one day. I've been praying for several hours. And a lady comes in. She has a brace on her leg. And and suddenly something rose up within me, a faith. And I thought to myself, you know, I have been praying. I've been fasting. I've been in this room for four hours already today. I read my Bible every day. I'm going to services every night. If ever I am ready to be used by God, it's right now. So I went up to that lady. I said, ma'am, can I lay my hands on you? She said, sure, go ahead. So I got down on my knees. I put my hands on that brace on her foot. I was praying and praying and praying. About 10 minutes I was going. And I was using all the words I knew from being a preacher's kid. You know, we learn. All the right things to say. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I adjure you. I'm talking to this thing, and I'm rebuking, and I'm praying, and I'm binding, and loosening. And finally, after about 10 minutes, I'd exhausted my whole repertoire of things to say. I opened my eyes, and I look at her, and she's staring at me like this. And this is what she said to me. I'll never forget it. It pierced me like a sword. She said, young man, are you willing to pay The price. Well, be careful. Don't say that yet. I walked out of that place completely crushed. I walked outside. I looked up at the sky. I said, Lord, what do you want from me? What more can I do? I'm fasting. I'm praying. I've given my whole life to this thing. And yet I'm not seeing any results. And I lived with an eternal torment for a long time. 
And then years later, I learned the answer. I want to save you a few years of frustration. Can I do that? Here's the truth. Are you ready? This may be hard for some of you to accept, but it will set you free. If you could pay the price for someone to be healed, then Jesus would not have had to go to the cross. I know you're saying amen. Some of you just didn't get it. See, if you got this one thing I'm telling you, miracles would start happening all over in the room right now without me touching anybody. You see, even the thought that you can add something to that finished work is evidence you didn't understand the work to begin with. Because let me tell you something. When Jesus shed that blood that we were talking about on the cross today, heaven and earth stood still. All the angels in heaven stood at attention from the top, from the highest points of heaven to the lowest regions of hell. Every entity in the universe stood up because that blood is the most powerful substance in the universe. And it has the power to heal every sickness. There is nothing you need to do. It's like it's like bringing a a cap gun to a nuclear war. Your holiness, your spirituality, your prayers, your fasting compared with the power of the blood of Jesus doesn't even show up on the radar. And you see it in the book of Acts chapter 3. You see Peter and John about to go into the temple. The lame man is healed. The people are amazed. What does Peter and John say? Do you think that by our power and holiness we made this man walk? Let me show you something. I want you to see this because it will set you free. Can I do that? And then then we're going to pray. Acts chapter number three. You know the story. This is the one where Peter says, silver and gold I have none. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The people are amazed about all this. And Peter says to them, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so earnestly at us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man walk? We didn't do this. Remember, this is Peter the apostle. Okay, if there was anybody who had a power and a holiness in himself that could have said that, it was him. But he said, no, 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 that's a mistake. Listen to the answer. He says in verse 16, his name, listen so carefully, his name through faith in his name has made this man strong who you see and know. Yes, the faith that is by him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So listen to this. Watch this. It's his name, number one. And it's faith in his name, number two. And it's faith in his name that came from him. So he gave the faith for you to put in his name. And the name is what does the healing. It's all from him. It's just him. You are almost not a part of the equation. It's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm uh, having a, a dock put in at my house, another house that I lived at. And in order to install this thing, there was lots of wood brought around. We had these 30-foot pylons, six by six 30 feet long, they weighed about 300 pounds each. And I had to move one from one side of the yard to the other. So I'm heaving. I'm a strong guy, but that's a lot of weight even for me. And I'm hauling this thing, dragging one end and having lifted the other end. My daughter, who's six years old from in the house, this little precious, blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby doll, just the sweetest, tiniest little thing you'd imagine. She comes running out of the house with a stuffed animal tucked under one arm. She said, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She'd seen me from inside the house, and she was concerned. She wanted to help her dad. So she ran outside with this stuffed animal under her arm. She said, Daddy, can I help you? And she had this look of concern on her face. I said, oh, sweetie, please go get that other end and help me. 
And so you can see in your mind, you can imagine, she's standing at one end, pushing this thing with a stuffed animal under her arm with one hand. And I'm dragging 300 pounds at the other end, all the way across the yard. And when we get to the end, I got down on one knee. She was smiling from ear to ear, just glowing. I said, thank you, sweetie. You are such a good girl. Thank you for helping daddy. And she smiled and ran inside to tell her mom what she did. And I don't know what she told her mom, but she probably told her that she helped me move that thing. (laughs) But we know the truth, don't we? Did she really help me that much? So why did I let her be a part of that process? Because I love her. Because I love to see the joy on her face. Because she matters to me. My friend, listen, God involves you in miracles, not because he needs your help. Not because you even bring anything to the equation. If you think your great faith is what God is depending on, get a clue. Even the faith you have came from him to begin with. He involves you because he loves you. And that's all. He just wants to see the smile on your face. He just wants you to be a part of his world. So he lets you be a part of it. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking that you're doing the heavy lifting. It's just Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. And I want you to do this. If, if you need healing in your body, just lift your hand. This is going to be simple, easy, and amazing. Miracles are going to happen all over this room. Lift it up high. Don't be shy. Okay, this is almost everybody in the room who needs a miracle. Okay? Oral Roberts told me one time, he said, Daniel, everybody needs a miracle. He said, miracles are God's platform to show off. So don't be afraid. If you need a miracle, lift your hand. Now, this is what I want you to do. Everybody who lifted your hand, I want you to look around and find someone else whose hand is lifted. But wait, listen. Try to find somebody besides a person you came with. Try to find a stranger and just team up with them. I don't want you to to pray for them or anything yet. Just team up with them. Everybody whose hand is up, find someone else whose hand is up. Hopefully a stranger and team up with them. And once you have a partner, put your hand down. Don't do anything too complicated. If you, if you can't find somebody, you can team up together. That's fine. All right. We'll make an exception. All right, everybody? Okay. Anybody else still need a partner? Back here, somebody somebody partner up with these ladies back here. All right. Everybody got a partner? There's a young man here who still has his hand up. Come on. We can do two people at once. It's fine. You, you guys? All right. Everybody ready? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay? Are you ready? This is going to be so easy that it's stupid. And that's intentional. Okay? So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to ask that partner to tell you in one word what their problem is. You don't need their whole medical history. Just get a word. If it's their stomach, say stomach. If it's back, say back. If it's head, say head. Just tell them one word. If it's cancer, say cancer. Okay? I just want you to get a word to attach your faith to. Once you have that word, stop talking. Okay, everybody good? Okay, step number two, let go of their hand, and I want you to look at your right hand. Everybody find your right hand? Oh, you guys are good. This is going to be, we got an A-plus crowd here. Okay, all right, now, I want you to look at your partner. Don't do anything yet, just look at them, and look at that spot on their head between their eyebrows and their hairline. Now, for some of you, it's a very big landing strip. (laughs) A a bald guy told me once, a bald guy said to me one time, God gave some people perfect heads and all the rest he covered with hair. So don't be ashamed. All right. So now you see the forehead. I want you to take your right hand and put it right in that spot. Don't pray. Just put your hand there. Okay. 
Now, I know I'm being lighthearted, but this is not a joke. Here's what I want you to do. In just a second, you're going to speak. But I do not want you to pray for that person telling God all about their problem. God knows their problem better than they do. You are a representative of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus died to give you the keys to that kingdom. So what I want you to do right now as an ambassador of Calvary, as an ambassador of the blood of Jesus that we've been talking about, I want you to take authority over that sickness and curse it, command it to leave and tell it to get out right now in Jesus name. Do it. Say, get out. Go ahead. Call it by name. Say, get out in the name of Jesus. Sickness, go in Jesus name. Cancer, go in Jesus name. Arthritis, go in Jesus name. Pain, get out. Spirit of infirmity, go. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. name. And everybody said, Amen. All right, stop praying. I cut you short. I cut you short on purpose. I don't want you to think it's your great prayers that heal people. Okay? But there's one more thing I want you to do. Don't ever pray for somebody and then just walk away. Look at that person again and say to them, test yourself. This is where faith comes in. Tell them to test themselves. Tell them to do something they couldn't do before. Tell them to check for the pain, the lump, the, the, the paralysis, the whatever it was. You'll make an amazing discovery. Jesus is healing all over this place. you have just now experienced a miracle in your body. Let me see your hands. Look at this. Look at this. This has got to do. Wave your hand if that's you. Look at this is like this is like 30, 40 percent of the crowd. Do that again. Amazing. 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 Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Love you guys. Next week on It's Supernatural. Did you know that you were created for purpose? And once you know your divine purpose in life, you will never go back to the way you used to live. Join me on It's Supernatural with Siroth. I share how you can know God's will for your life. God bless you.